It's Wednesday, October 13th, and you've got Oz in your ears. Oh yeah, Radio Free Oz is back here on this beautiful Wednesday. I'm your host, Peter Bergman, and co-host David Osmond sitting across from me in the Blue U Studios. Dave Maloney through the glass, making all the sounds so very cool. How are you doing, Dave? I'm doing okay. I'm doing okay. The day is pretty out there as we move relentlessly into fall here. And uh, no rain. Um, Went a little over the weekend. Rained hard at night. Oh, man. Two nights ago, I woke up at three in the morning and it was just pouring. A real, what do they call that? Rain shadow rain? I don't know exactly what they call (laughs) it, but oh, man. Was it wet? No, it was a good one, but it's nothing like, you know, the East Coast gets battered like that all the time. Yeah, I mean, you know, true. we're such lucky pups out here in the in the moderate and beautiful green West. But uh, we were in the, uh, as they say, keep California green and golden. We were down in the golden part of California. Yeah, Marin, and they're in, in the Frank Lloyd Wright general area in San Rafael. For a world international premiere of We're All Bozos on This Bus, the new Firesign Theater show. I guess that's right. We stumbled on stage with a brand new script, and uh, it seemed to go over pretty well. We yeah. had a good time. There was some Oz material on it, too, by the way. Indeed, the there Half-Pack was. Gladiator was there, and uh, Exorcism in Your Daily Life Derivatives, Buzz Cut for Senate. Mm-hmm. Barnstormer made his, new, made his first appearance. Oh, and he's going to be back. See, we're going next week, the week of the 7th. 17th, actually, starting on the 20th, 21st, 22nd, whatever, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, we're going to be at Barnsdale, Barnsdale Theater in Los Angeles. So if you're in the Southern California area, go on up to firesigntheater.com and uh, take a look. Get your tickets. We'd love to see yeah, there's you only, Aussies there. There's only one way to get to this show, and that's you have to go to the either the Firesign uh, site or the Barnsdale Theater uh, site. It's called Barnsdale Gallery Theater, actually. And that is spelled... B-A-R-N-S Barnes, D-A-L-L, Doll. And uh, that will take you to uh, a ticket site. Uh, As I say, the tickets are only available online, so get shows now. And uh, do spread the word. If uh, if you're Twittering or Facebooking or doing anything like that and you're in the general Southern California area, let people know. We had to San Rafael. A guy came from Maine. Hope, Maine. So you never know where your friends are going to be coming from and wanting to see uh, see the show. This will only be, um, well, this will be the thir- second, third, and fourth performances, something like that, of this brand new show based on Bozos, but also based on very new material from Radio Free Oz and a... Uh, uh, a heftily uh, rewritten and not so much recycled Nick Danger. Yeah, and uh, the he oil... still got his hat. He still got his third eye. Oh yeah, and the and the oil spill scenes. Yeah. from um, anything you want to. Willie the Shake, right? Yeah, yeah, right. The Bard is back and he's covered with oil. <laughs> so if you're uh, if you're in the big old L.A. area, we will see you down there in person. Uh, Oz fans, that would be really cool. We had a few come by the table uh, where we sign autographs and say hello to people after the show in San Rafael, and they were just pleased as much to be uh, Oz and Ears guys yeah. and Firesand Theater guys all at the same time. Well, Oz and Ears is coming. We're going to launch Oz and Ears upon our return from L.A., so look for it to happen on uh, Tuesday, I believe, is the 25th. That's the day. All That's right. the day. Oz and Ears is launched. Okay. Line, line up those trumpets and uh, let's hear them. 
Flaming hulks of NATO fuel trucks stretching from the AFPAC border to Islamabad cast a baleful light on the shadow war we have been waging in Pakistan. Understand, the Taliban thugs who torch those tankers have the sympathy of every Pakistani whose lives are threatened daily by the rain of hellfire missiles. In the last month, the Pentagon and the CIA have more than doubled their predator attacks over Pakistan. Their stated rationale? They need to beef up their boogeyman body count before the White House does their reassessment of the whole AFPAC adventure. It's time we made our reassessment. One, what can we accomplish by putting boots on the ground and drones in the air in Pakistan? The Taliban and a broad range of other hardline Islamist groups are standard fare in a country that was founded as a breakaway Islamic haven. Two, what real help can we expect from the Pakistani army, government, or security services? For decades, they have been using us, lying to us, and supporting the warlords and jihadists who have been killing us. Three, what have our incursions into Pakistan accomplished except to increase the risk of terrorist attacks against our homeland? The Times Square car bomber was provoked by our predator strikes. He is not alone. Four, what level of blood and treasure will we have to pour into Pakistan to make a difference? 100,000 troops and $2 billion a week isn't doing the job in Afghanistan. Five, what's the end game? Will it take the head of bin Laden, a feminist Taliban, an opium-free Afghanistan, and textbook democracies from Baghdad to Baluchistan to satisfy us? Can't we just pack up the American dream and come home? If we answer these questions and choose to act, we have a shot at turning the madness around. If not, we can join the drones at home, follow our leaders, and pay the parking meters. Buddy, can you spare a dime? One thing Packy suits, he will look swell, full of that Yankee doodle dum Half a million boots. Went marching through hell, and I was a kid with a drum. All told, 85% of Americans are either angry about the economy or at least dissatisfied with it, according to the survey produced by ABC and Yahoo News. That makes economic discontent even higher than anger or dissatisfaction with the way the federal government is working, at 71% in an ABC News Washington poll last week. So, they're, they're more angry about the economy than how the federal government is screwing it up. This is kind of a mixed message. What's crucial is not just the net total, but the anger number. 25% of all adults in the survey, with broad political differences, are angry. Among registered voters, just 12% of Democrats are angry about the economy. That jumps to 30% of independents. And among Republicans, it soars to a remarkable 41%, an extraordinary number to express so strong an emotion. Among those who are angry with the economy, 54% blame the both parties equally. But 35% say they're angrier with the Democrats, more than triple the number. 10% who aim at their ire at the Republicans. To the extent that anger equals motivation, that 25-point differential explains some of the GOP advantage in pre-election polls. More dissatisfaction, though, is less of a motivator in the ABC Post poll. It was angry people who were the most apt to say they're certain to vote. So that's nice. We're going to have people lined up at the polls angry, just generally angry. Angry at the Democrats because they're the ones who are in. 
and they're going to put some real rascals in their place. Ooh, it's going to get grim, folks. Okay, the recovery. A sense that the economy's beginning to recover, meanwhile, has diminished from its level last winter. In an ABC Post poll last February, 45% of Americans said that regardless of whether the recession was over, they felt the economy at least had begun begun to recover. Today, fewer than 34% in this poll say so. Again, the gloom is sharply partisan. Among registered voters who are Democrats, 46% say the economy is beginning to recover. (laughs) They don't get it. Among independents, 31%. And among Republicans, just 24%. Half its level among their political opposites. Even with the partisanship, the decline versus last February in a sense of economic improvement in general, down by 11 points overall, by 9 and 10 points respectively among Republicans and Democrats, and 15 points amongst independents. They're beginning to become glum about what is real. We are not recovering. We are failing. We are not recovering. But we're going to put in failure agents in the replace of the people who are there to try and solve all the blood that has been spilled, all the treasure that has been wasted, all the infrastructure that has been ignored. All the good work that Obama and his people are doing is bringing nothing but anger and yelling and screaming at the great, not me. Because it's nobody's fault but him. Can't be my fault. I'm an American. I'm special. I'm exceptional. You're deluded. In addition to Democrats, optimism's highest among higher-income adults. 45% of those in the 100,000-plus households say some recovery's begun. Yeah, versus 32% of those with incomes less than 50,000. Maybe they just don't get it, or maybe all those tax cuts are still letting them float high. And younger adults under 40 are more optimistic than their elders. And that, too, is changing. Well, Peter, the October calendar for comedians has a lot of really great guys. I don't know what it is. Scorpio, as we go into, you know, kind of those sexy, lusty guys we're getting into now. But uh, on the 13th, 13th of October brings up four names that I know these are folks from the past, but nevertheless, you can't can't forget Burr Tilstrom. Remember him? Kukla, no. Fran, and Ollie. Oh, yes, but that's really way out Long, there. long time ago, but the very first of the puppet shows, which was really popular when your granddaddy was in school, kids. No, early television, black and white television. Absolutely. They ruled. Huge. Ter- terrific hand puppet show. Very funny. Kukla and Ollie were the puppets, and Fran was the real woman who talked to the puppets. It would seem so incredibly naive today, no one <laughs> would be able to handle it. And it was a funny show, too. Nick? Uh, Gypsy Russell. He's a great black uh, casino comic, I guess you'd have to call him. He was the Tin Man in uh, The Wiz, the movie The Wiz. Yeah. Uh, you could see him there. And he was one of the so-called dirty comedians. Yeah, yeah. he was. But um, he, dirty he, in the best sense. I mean, he was he was he was bawdy. He bawdy was, comedian. And he played a lot of black bars and places where only blacks could go. Remember, he didn't come into the mixed crowd for a long time in his career. Like Moms Mabley, same thing. Right, exactly. He was if if there was a male Moms Mabley, he would sort of that guy. He was on a TV sitcom though, Car Fifty Four. Yeah, well, he did. Where well, are he, you? He, he moved made in. it. Yes, he made it because he was a great trooper. Uh, Great editorial cartoonist that I grew up with because he was the cartoonist for the L.A. Daily News, and I delivered it, and that's Herblock. Oh, Herblock, man. He, he was huge. Remember the one they had of, of Nixon coming up out of the sewer that was so heavy some <laughs> he, people wouldn't run it? He hated Richard Nixon. You know, Herblock was the leading 
uh, a, you know, cartoonist of that sort for years, a major. Yeah, I think pro- probably the best known of the American cartoonists during the whole um, Second World War after and, and after McCarthy the war, and McCarthy Nixon era. and all of that. Yeah. yeah, and of course on the thirteenth of October, Lenny Bruce, nineteen twenty-five to nineteen sixty-six. Yeah, I remember I was in L.A. Uh, the day of his funeral, and Phil Spector came by and said, "You're going to go to Lenny's funeral." And for some reason, I couldn't, and I've I've always regretted it. Um, but Lenny Bruce, man, uh, what an unusual career. I mean, there's just no there's no comedian, there's no history of any comedian that touches what happened to Lenny Bruce, who he is, and what happened. To no, him. he is so many stories, and so many stories have been told about him, yeah. uh, by him, through him. A gentleman. A true gentleman. Yes. Hard on himself, but yeah, not on Very others. hard on himself. Very hard on himself. I uh, once bought a, um, like a burlesque movie that he wrote and he's in. Really? So you can actually see him working as a comic yeah. in this uh, probably, what, early, early, late 50s, early 60s. And uh, he wanted to go into film. Not yeah. just dirty movies or, or you no. know, this wasn't a dirty movie anyway. It was burlesque girls, you know, it's those jokes. Of, That's what he came out of, burlesque girls. Yeah. He, wasn't a, he wasn't a dirty comedian. He was a super intellectual. <laughs> well, I have a favorite line of, of Lenny Bruce's. Uh, uh, he said, uh, some people say, why be dirty? Why? Because it gets me horny. Hungarian police early this week arrested the managing director of the company at the center of a toxic sludge disaster as the body of the last missing person was recovered, bringing the death toll to eight. The National Investigation Office said in a statement it had taken into custody Zoltan Bakonyi, managing director of Malzert, for interrogation in connection with the mud disaster that caused the death of a number of people. At the same time, the body of the last person missing was recovered a week after Hungary's worst ever chemical accident. The two villages of Devesher and Kolantar were hardest hit when a reservoir at an alumina plant in Ajka, a hundred miles west of Budapest, burst, sending a torrent of toxic sludge across an area of 16 square miles and polluting the Danube and many of its tributaries. Meanwhile, engineers, volunteers, and disaster relief teams were racing against the clock this week to finish building a new dam to contain a feared new wave of slurry from a likely second break in the reservoir walls before forecast heavy rain arrives later this week. So far, no official estimates have been made of the total cost of the damage caused by the spill, which officials describe as the worst ever in the country and an ecological catastrophe. But Environment State Secretary Zoltan E.S. Uh, reckoned Mal could face having to pay up to $102 million in fines. Prime Minister Viktor Orban told Parliament Monday that Mal should be called to account for the disaster and placed under state control. Now get what he says. Since it was not a natural disaster, but man-made, it won't be the taxpayer who foots the bill, but those who caused the damage, Orban said. Also, they arrested the CEO of the culprit company. We could be doing the very same thing here in the United States, arresting the CEOs and the board members and the major shareholders if if they're active in the company when these kinds of depredations occur. Dead fish have been cited as far as Tahi, which is around 
some 30 miles north of Budapest, as well as closer to the capital itself. But disaster relief officials argue the fish have probably been washed along the river and are not a sign that the pollution is continuing to spread. Indeed, alkaline levels, a sign of water contamination, much closer to the site of the accident, are still falling. Kolontar's entire population of around 800 people have been forced to evacuate until the construction of the second dam has been completed and the authorities give them permission to return. According to ES, 21 to 24 million cubic feet of sludge spilled from the reservoir last week, leaving 2.5 million tons still inside it. ES said it was still unclear whether Mal overloaded the reservoirs or not, but if that is the case, it's illegal storage of waste and that constitutes a crime. The company's three owners are among Hungary's 100 richest people. With eight people confirmed dead, no one else is missing, but 45 people remain hospitalized, with two said to be in very serious condition. Well, we can take a lesson from this Euro page book. Hey, uh, if you have a moment, uh, we'd love for you to join us on Twitter. This is a a whole new social network outreach that we're getting into. Uh, And I think Twitter is is a really good way for people to meet each other and to know Oz and to spread Oz. Just go to www.twitter.com slash Oz Network and click on the follow button. And we'll be making some announcements on Twitter soon and you won't want to miss them. Okay, well, even if you do want to miss them, go up because that's your choice. Byron Williams, a 45-year-old ex-felon, exploded onto the national stage in the early morning hours of July 18th. According to a police investigation, Williams opened fire on California Highway Patrol officers who had stopped him on an Oakland freeway for driving erratically. For 12 frantic minutes, Williams traded shots with the police, employing three firearms and a small arsenal of ammunition, including armor-piercing rounds fired from a .308 caliber rifle. When the smoke cleared, Williams surrendered. The ballistic body armor he was wearing had saved his life. Miraculously, only two of the 10 CHP officers involved in the shootout were injured. In an affidavit, an Oakland police investigator reported that during an interview at the hospital, Williams stated that his intention was to start a revolution by traveling to San Francisco and killing people of importance at the Tides Foundation and the ACLU. Fifteen years after militia movement-inspired bombers killed 168 people in the Oklahoma City Federal Building, right-wing domestic terror plots are a fact of life in America. Since 2008, violent extremists, many of them who subscribe to the hate speech and conspiratorial fantasies of the conservative media, have murdered churchgoers in Knoxville, police officers in Pittsburgh, and an abortion provider in Wichita. Conspiracy theory-fueled extremism has long been a reaction to progressive government in the United States. Half a century ago, historian Richard Hofstetter wrote that right-wing thought had come to be dominated by the belief that communist agents had infiltrated all levels of American government and society. The right, he explained, had identified a sustained conspiracy running over more than a generation and reaching its climax in Roosevelt's New Deal to undermine free capitalism, to bring the economy under the direction of the federal government, and to pave the way for socialism or communism. And by the way, this is the line, perhaps this line light, being taken by a lot of the Tea Party people running for the Senate and the House. This kind of conspiracy drivel, this is serious stuff. And a dumb, over-TV-exposed, lazy public is swallowing this crap. In a 2009 report, the Southern Poverty Law Center found that the anti-government militia movement which had risen to importance during the Clinton administration, had faded away during the Bush years. It has returned. According to the SPLC, 
The anti-government resurgence has been buttressed by paranoid rhetoric from public officials like Republican Congresswoman Michelle Bachman and media figures like Fox News' Glenn Beck. Just last month, Gregory Giusti pleaded guilty to repeatedly threatening House Speaker Nancy Pelosi, including threatening to destroy her California home because he was upset with her passing the health care law. Well, no surprise since the right-wing people have been saying this is the end of health care in America. This is socialism. He's Stalin. He's Che. He's, he's Castro. He's Mao. They believe these sons of bitches. His mother told a local news station that he frequently gets in with a group of people that have really radical ideas, adding, I'd say Fox News or all of those that are really radical, and he, he, that, that's where he comes from. After the 2008 election, Fox News personalities filled the airwaves with increasingly violent rhetoric and apocalyptic language. On his Fox News show, Beck talked about putting poison in Pelosi's wine. Observers of the most recent act were mystified by one of Byron Williams's reported targets, the Tides Foundation, a low-profile charitable organization known for funding environmentalists, community groups, and other organizations. Beck, it turned out, had attacked Tides 29 times on his Fox News show in the year and a half leading up to the shooting. I'm all for free speech, yeah, but What's the difference between yelling fire in a crowded theater, right, or yelling socialist murderer end of the world on a crowded cable network? What's that all about? Yeah, at the opening of the show, Dave, uh, you mentioned at the very end as we were going through the horror list of who's out there about uh, the Republican candidate for the New York governor, Carl Palladino. Carl Big mouth, let me send you my uh, email address because I got some real pictures you want to look at, huh? Yeah, yeah, him, right? Him, okay. and, and, and for ex- <laughs> just to start off with, America seems to have very little hypocrisy meter turned on during, for this midterms. <laughs> That's one way of putting it. <laughs> really, I mean, these people can say anything. Here's yep, a guy yep. that says, I'm not an insider, and all he is is a graph-ridden insider in Buffalo politics, a payoff man, a bag man, a wealthy man, all of this stuff, however you want to say it. But he's, you know, he just claims the other way, and that's enough. All you got to do is say it, and if you get the right people to swing it and to spin it and whatever, you're fine. But, of course, he has to be caught by what he actually says in public. (laughs) Carl Palladino, the Republican candidate for New York governor, says he can't decide whether homosexuality is a choice. Like we should leave it up to him, okay? It's my decision, all right? So shut up and sit down. I've had difficulty with that, he told Uh Good Morning America this week. My nephew tells me he didn't have that choice. And I believe it's a very, very difficult life for a young person. He went on, I believe that young people should not necessarily be exposed to that, whatever that is, mm-hmm. without some really, really mature background first before so they can learn to deal with it. This is a man who wants to be governor of New York, running against Cuomo, who is an eloquent young man. So he's not sure that they should be exposed to what? To the idea of homosexuality? To discovering that they're homosexual? Well, he said that it, uh, a, the, gay per, uh, the gay pride parade was not an appropriate event for children. You can make up yourself what you okay. think that means. The candidate, and he's backed by the Tea Party. This is the Tea Party that says they are I have trouble gay. taking my kids to the Irish one. Go, go ahead, Pete. Yeah, you sorry. have to make your choice. St. Patty's. Day's got a lot of, you know, well, go ahead. The candidate, backed by the Tea Party, 
71% of all Republicans say that they are in the Tea Party. 50% of the people in America now identify themselves as conservative. The candidate, backed by the Tea Party, is under fire for telling Orthodox Jewish leaders at a campaign stop this week that he didn't want his kids to be brainwashed into thinking that homosexuality is an equally valid and successful option. It isn't. So don't watch television because all those shows with gay people on it are brainwashing your teenagers. Right, and, 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 and don't pay attention to the fact that now a federal judge in, in San Diego has said that don't ask, don't tell is unconstitutional. Don't listen to any of this. Now, by the way, the guy that put this this whole thing together for him, one of the, the leaders of the Orthodox Jewish community in New York, He's a rabbi with a congregation of 24 people. Oh, that's, no. That's, Another one of those like the burn like the burn the Koran guy. Well, right, yeah, except he's got yeah. a minion and that's just about it. All right, let's go on. We got we got more Paladino here. Let me just get it up here for you. Okay, <clears> so this is okay. uh he his prepared text went further. There is nothing to be proud of in being a dysfunctional homosexual. But he didn't say that in his remarks. The Republican says he was reading the speech in his car on the way to the event and simply crossed the sentence out. How we learned about it, I don't know. But there it is. He says there is nothing to be proud of in being a dysfunctional homosexual. Or maybe this is a motivational talk. If you're going to be a homosexual, be a functional homosexual. Functional one. Yeah, keep your functions up, uh, so to speak. Paladino stresses that his feelings are no different than those of the Catholic Church. And he was merely trying to express the confusion that people have over this issue. A lot of people are not confused about this issue. No, especially not in New York. Well, maybe in Buffalo. Well, I mean, talk about talk about a rapid change. We did the article on the fact that the definition of two gays as a real family has taken hold. The whole idea of what makes a family, including, oh, yeah. has changed remarkably and quickly. So no, Mr. Palladino, a lot of people are not confused about homosexuality. The fact that it is not a choice. No, you can't pray it out of people, Mr. Palladino. And the last thing in the world we want is you. You, with this antediluvian bigotry being governor of New York. Mr. Bergman, I can see that you were a victim, a cruel, cruel, poor victim of the homosexual agenda, and I feel sorry for you, okay? This is Carl Palladino, and I, I, I approve that message. The Washington Post in a new study shows just how confused people are about the government. Not a good sign for clear thinking. If there is an overreaching theme of election in 2010, it is the question of how big the government should be and how far it should reach into people's lives. Americans have a more negative view of government today than they did a decade ago or even a few years ago. Most say it focuses on the wrong things and lack confidence that it can solve big domestic problems. This general anti-Washington sentiment is helping to fuel a potential Republican takeover of Congress next month. But ask people what they expect the government to do for themselves and their families, and a more complicated picture emerges. new study by the Washington Post, the Henry J. Kaiser Family Foundation, and Harvard University shows that most Americans who say they want more limited government also call Social Security and Medicare very important. They want Washington to be involved in schools and to help reduce poverty. Nearly half want the government to maintain a role in regulating health care. The study suggests 
that come January, politicians in both parties will confront a challenging and sometimes contradictory reality about what Americans really think about their government. Although Republicans and many Democrats have tried to demonize Washington, they must contend with the fact that most major government programs remain enormously popular, including some that politicians have singled out for stiff criticism. The new survey also shows that although Democrats and Republicans have rarely seen eye to eye, the gap between the two has widened significantly over a decade of partisan polarization. Fully 80% of Republicans say the government's priorities are misplaced, and just 6% express a lot of faith in government when it comes to fixing economic problems or dealing with Social Security. More broadly, a nationwide report card on the government shows barely passing grades. Washington was a C student in a poll 10 years ago. Today, more than 4 in 10 people give the government a D or an F. And what do they want to put in its place? It's one thing to hate the government. It's another thing to come up with alternatives. That's the thing with the GOP. All they've got is N-O. It doesn't stop after that. Most of those who see the country as headed off course put a great deal of blame on the government. Overall, 55% of Americans say the government is not paying attention to the biggest issues. Similar percentages say the government does not use tax money wisely, is out of sync with their values, and has not helped their families. Half say the government has a big effect on their daily lives, up significantly from 10 years ago. But most of these say the impact is a negative one. I wonder how. I think the less the government governs us, the better we do, Norma Osura, 48, said in a follow-up interview to the survey. A stay-at-home mother, she sees the country is going in a socialistic direction. Nearly half of the 2,000 adults polled say the federal government threatens their personal liberties. Which ones? There is a creeping sense, now shared by one in five Americans, that it is not possible for the federal government to be run well given all the problems in the country. Maybe the liberties that are being threatened are the result of all this homeland security. Maybe all of this police state kind of stuff. Do they mean that? Or do they mean cap and trade or Obamacare? Yet these strong sentiments, often heard in campaigns this year, tell only half the story. Even as Americans generally hold Washington in low regard, they still like much of the work it does, support the government action they do on uh, such issues as national defense, health care, and fighting poverty remains high, in some cases, just where it was a decade ago. Nearly 6 in 10 say they want their congressional representatives to fight for additional government spending in their districts to spur job creation. Fewer, 39%, want their members of Congress to cut spending, even if that means not as many local jobs. This is a turnabout for September of 1994, when 53% said they wanted their representatives to battle against spending, and 42% were on the other side. Hmm. Despite evident public dissatisfaction with the growth of the federal deficit, 50% of those polled say they would prefer more government spending to try to boost the economy. 46% say avoiding an increase in the deficit should take precedence. Americans continue to see major areas of government spending as essential, whether it's Medicare, Social Security, National Defense, food stamps, education, unemployment benefits, or environmental protection. About 9 in 10 call these programs at least somewhat important. So what are they so angry about? On two government programs, Social Security and Medicare, there have been modest declines in the percentages of Americans calling these programs very important. But overall, the changes have been limited. Food stamps, which former House Speaker Newt Gingrich 
uh, has tried to make an issue in the campaign this fall are seen as vital by more than four in 10 Americans, significantly more than was said in the late 1990s. That's because more of them are getting stamps. But if those programs remain popular, confidence in the government's ability to solve problems has clearly deteriorated over the past decade, particularly when it comes to the economy. Eight years ago, roughly six in 10 Americans expressed confidence in Washington to solve economic problems. Today, less than half express that faith. But even at a time of reduced confidence overall and conservative criticism of social welfare spending, nearly two-thirds of Americans say the government should be doing more to fight poverty. This is all over the place. Carl Santos, 55 of Providence, Rhode Island, sees the government is trying to help people like her. But the benefits she receives don't go far enough. When all those big companies give their high-ranking officials pay raises, it took away from the low-to-moderate community, she said. The big-name companies have done it to us little people. The government is trying to help, but it's fighting a losing battle. Remember, folks, the poor don't vote, and the discouraged poor never vote. Today, 59% of Americans say the country is seriously on the wrong track, up a dozen percentage points from the summer of 2000. The change has been driven by dramatic rise in pessimism among Republicans, with virtually no change in the perceptions among Democrats. Fully 61% of Republicans say that the country is headed in the wrong direction and that the federal government deserves a great deal of the blame. The percentage of Democrats who give the federal government a grade of A or B has dipped from 47 to 42%. The percentage of Republicans giving Washington those top marks has plummeted from 28% to 8%. So the Republicans are altogether in the big no bucket. I wonder what's going to happen if they do take control. Just what are they going to give us? What is this new, shining, smaller, thinner, non-socialistic America going to look like? The polarizing debate over health care has left its mark on Republicans and independents far more than on Democrats. Ten years ago, three-quarters of independents said they favored more government involvement to ensure access to health care coverage. Today, half do. Among Republicans, the falloff is even more dramatic, slotting from 53 to 21 percent. This is a landslide. A more radical proposition also has broad appeal. 56% of those polled say things would be better if there were a national referendum system enabling all citizens to vote on major national issues. At least on this point, there is rare general agreement among Democrats, Republicans, and independents. I'm from California. Let me tell you, the prospect of national referendums is a nightmare. My portfolio is high I'm going on vacation Anywhere I wanna I put it on my card I could use a little sun And to see some ancient ruins The pyramids are calling Off to Egypt I will fly I go swimming in the big Egyptian river Bathing in the waters of the Nile The sun is shining down And everybody's happy Bathing in the waters 
of denial My job is so secure And my government is stable The weather's getting better A little warmer every year And now we've got free trade And everyone will prosper The locals here are happy I think I'll have another beer Let's go swimming now We're swimming in the big Egyptian river Bathing in the waters Of the Nile The sun is shining down And everybody's happy Bathing in the waters Of the Nile I thought I heard a bomb It must be a celebration If anything was wrong They tell me on TV Sometimes I am amazed How perfect things are going I think I'll do some shopping And take a little time for me Everybody's doing it We're swimming in the big Egyptian river stroke, breast stroke, side stroke, crawl Bathing in the waters of Dinah He's got it, he's got it all The sun is shining down And everybody's happy Happy, he's so happy, happy Bathing in the water of Dinah Oh yeah, everybody's doing it We're swimming in the big Egyptian river Breaststroke, sidestroke, crawl Bathing in the waters Of Dinah He's got it, he's got it all The sun is shining down And everybody's happy Happy, he's so happy, happy Bathing in the water Of Dinah We'll go bathing in the water Bathing in the waters of Dinah Hortabagie International Pictures presents The Fuse of Doom A new Frank Acne serial thriller starring Andrew T.P. Luggett as billionaire industrialist Jonas Acne Marshall Camp as his son and ward, Frank Acme. P. Wee Rodriguez as newspaper magnate, Charles Foster Dudley. And Rex Spofford as Professor Emanuel Archetype, O.D. With Mr. X as the electrician. <laughs> and now, chapter one. Should old acquaintance be forgot? Professor Archetype, publisher Dudley, and industrial giant Acme are seated in the library, smoking cigars and holding champagne glasses. The butler, Benway, comes in and refills their glasses. He takes a quick swig out of the bottle for himself and then whispers in Acme's ear. Are you quite sure, Benway? No, not at all, sir. Oh, thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> you may go, Benway. I just did, sir. Well, then just clean up the stain on your face. Yeah, yes, sir. Gentlemen, the time has come. Yeah, right, Both of Mickey's hands are pointing at 12 at last. Yeah, yeah. Welcome to 19... 1920! Uh, <laughs> old acquaintance be forgotten.
forgot. Don't forget that. Gentlemen, gentlemen, before we toast in the new decade, you are no doubt wondering what strange reasons compelled me to draw you away from the mammoth celebration in the grand ballroom of the East Wing. You know, I've never seen a happier mammoth. <laughs> a I'll drink to that. Not yet, yeah. Professor. That's what? Then explain yourself, Agni. <laughs> Is this another of your blasted practical jokes? Jonas, I think we've kept Mr. Dudley in suspense long enough. Yes, All right. I like him in suspense. Put some cuffs on them. Oh. Why exactly, Professor? Keeping a story of this magnitude from an old cub reporter like Charles Foster <laughs> Dudley has been no easy task. But that's exactly what I intend to do. What, 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 what? The information which we are about to reveal must not go beyond the walls of this room. Benway! Sir? Benway, I... I thought I told you to go. I didn't have to go, sir. Oh, well, that's good. Well, then draw the curtains as you leave. Well, if you insist, sir, I'm not much of an artist. I don't know what you're up to, Acme. Oh, well. I think it's maybe three or four a day. Uh, a couple of quarts will do. But I can tell you right now that if what you say is of any consequence to the little people... Wait, wait. Do you mean the leprechauns? No, the working men. Oh. Leprechauns work. I have thousands of them in my meatpacking plant. Well, they're, they're packing meat. Yes, they are. Well, better than packing weapons. Yeah, it's green, my, the only green meat I'll eat, you know. It's my sworn duty as publisher of the Dudley News, the Dudley Star, the Dudley Planet, and the Saturday Evening Dudley to I make... That. Known all the little facts. Yeah. Would your sediments remain unchanged sediments? if the man directly responsible for the incredible discovery you are about to see is none other than the legendary Dr. Emmanuel Archetype? Archetype? I thought he was dead. So I no. am. Oh, yes, you look, you look well. But you went down with the Lusitania. And the Lusitania went down. It went down without me. But why? I wasn't on the Lusitania. What were you on? Opium. I thought oh, you were on sabbatical. Yeah, that too. Well, a terrific time, but I used the time wisely. Perfected a device which has for years deluded the greatest minds of science and made them soft. Yes. And I am turning over my entire industrial racehorses. Uh, racehorses. Yes, racehorses. them too. Uh, to investigate the potentialities of this, the most miraculous scientific achievement of this already miraculous century, Doctor! The Zeppelin II! Oh! Oh! Fantastic! Not bad music either, huh? Well, and I waited for just the right point to come in, didn't I? I see now why you pledged me to secrecy. You do? I don't. Well, it's in the script. Read further on. Oh, there it is. If this device ever fell, see, into the wrong hands, yes. I shudder. I'm like shuddering. That's you me. Shudder, no, yeah. oh, it's radio. That's quaking, see? not yeah. shuddering. Okay, this is shuddering. I shudder to think of the catatonic consequences for all mankind. Exactly. The Zeppelin tube can be used as a great tool for good or for evil. And Dr. Archetype has entrusted that decision to me. Well, Jethro, what a fantastic story. If, if only I could print it. Uh, now, no, 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 gentlemen, no. gentlemen, Maybe I'd do it the toast, here. I promise. Uh, oh, yes, sir, the toast, sir. I, I finished drawing the curtains, oh, sir. Cubist. This rather, rather nice sketch, yes, too, if I do say I so myself. Take it home with oh, me, and I'm sure, gentlemen, the toast is nice and cold by now. And, oh, and here's a mysterious note for you, Mr. Dudley. Well, uh, let me uh, shake this piece of paper and pretend I'm reading this. Ah, yes, excuse sir. me. I've just learned that I have to go to the bathroom. Why don't you pretend to act sometime, too? No, no, but no, no, not before the toast, Shirley. I mean, Dudley. Benway can go for you. What? Shirley could, I mean, Benway, might you go for me? Uh, yes, sir, I 
I think I could. Oh, you kiss like Benchley, but you smell like Walcott. I'm going to the bathroom. I just went all over my shoes. Gentlemen, we three have been encrusted with a great and dangerous responsibility. Let us drink to our sacred mission. A safe and practical use... For the Zeppelin tube! What? So we meet again, gentlemen! Where is he? Everything's gone to dark! Thank you for bringing this extraordinary device to my attention. I can't read my script. I have unaided an opportunity to put it to good use! He's. Uh, uh, wait, wait, uh, wait, 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 wait! Don't go, don't go! He's. he's gone! Where are you, you fiend? He must be here somewhere in the house. Oh. You know, if the Zeppo tube gets into the wrong hands. Gone! Look! Wait, wait, wait! Look at this acting job over here. Oh my god! My god, this is New York quality! Something's happened to our type! Look at the glassy stare in his mouth! No, it's better than Marceau! It's. it's a fuse. A blown fuse. Stay tuned. Next fire time. Same firelight station for the curse of Cobra Valley. Cobras, the Cobras. next oh, no. thrilling episode drink. of the Fuse <laughs> of Doom. Do, 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 do. Yes, preparing for each show, I go through the various news services. I call it trolling the woe. And I always like to come up with what looks like emerging good news. And I think this is some of it comes out of Newsweek. After 36 years and more than 40,000 deaths, one of the world's bloodiest and longest running insurgencies, the separatist struggle of Turkey's Kurds, could soon be over. Last week, Turkey's Prime Minister Recep Tayyip Erdogan hinted that his government was finally negotiating with Abdullah Ocalan, the leader of the Kurdistan Workers' Party, or PKK, in prison since 1999. Not long ago, such talks would have been political suicide. But Erdogan is riding high after a victory last month in which voters backed his party as it introduced a new constitution pushing the military out of politics. With the army traditionally the fiercest opponents of any deals with Kurdish terrorists on the back foot, Erdogan is now freer to strike a grand bargain with the remains of the PKK. More important, the militants know they've lost the battle for secession from Turkey, both politically and militarily. PKK strongholds in North Iraq have been hammered by a series of air and commando raids since 2007. Inside Turkey, too, the organization is losing its grip. A long-standing taboo on speaking out against the PKK was broken last month by the mayor of Diyarbakir, the Kurdish region's biggest city, who blasted the rebels for a raid on a local stone-cutting factory. Thousands also turned out for the funerals of two popular imams, apparently murdered by the PKK, another first in a region where the rebels used to keep the local population in firm check by killing teachers and village elders and forcibly conscripting sons. What a nice group of guys. They must have uh, brotherly relations with the Taliban. Any deal will have to involve amnesty for the remaining rebels, something that has roused the ire of nationalists and uh, many military officers. But Erdogan has found support in surprising places. Former hardliner Tsevat Ones has said any deal could and should include issuing an amnesty for the terrorists. 
Trickier for Erdogan will be how far to go with the Kurds' demands for local autonomy. Still, for most Kurds, the dream has changed. Instead of independence, they now want merely to keep their language and traditions alive while benefiting from Turkey's newfound prosperity. Some Turks still worry that granting such unprecedented freedom to the Kurds will pose a threat to national unity. But others have come to see that ethnic diversity in their country is a small price to pay for ending decades of bloodshed. So I applaud this. I applaud the fact that Erdogan can do this by pushing this new constitution. There is an interesting, ironic a footnote, though. Remember, Turkey was made modern by um, the the uh, the work of Kemal Ataturk, a military officer and a secularist to the bone. And the military was very specific about keeping religious groups out of the government. And that's why Turkey has remained a totally Islam population with a totally secular government. With the change in the constitution, that may change, and that could be big problems for lots of people. They are a member of NATO. They were Israel's best Muslim friend. That's being strained by Israel's actions, I think, more than Turkey's. So this is good news, but we're going to have to wait and see. House Minority Leader John Boehmer will head to South Florida this week to campaign for Alan West, a fiery conservative who's in a tight race against Representative Ron Klein. But West, a Tea Party favorite, isn't exactly looking to make nice with the House Republican leader. West signaled, this in an article from Politico, that he's not completely ready to embrace the GOP establishment, and he dismissed the highly touted Pledge to America agenda as more rah-rah and boilerplate from Washington Republicans. You got to understand the Tea Party doesn't want anything to do with anything that's coming out of Washington. They are, it's, it's, it's a complete no-nothing party. If John Boehmer is speaker, I'm going to hold his feet to the fire, West said in an interview at the PGA National Hotel and Resort. Of course, if Boehmer is a vampire, as rumored, then holding his feet to the fire will cause him no pain whatsoever. And I think that's important, says West. And that's what people are expecting of me down here. West is part of an anti-establishment wave that could very well produce a Speaker Boehmer, but could also present a whole new set of challenges for Republicans who hope to govern the House. Monday is also a big day for Klein, as he'll raise money from President Barack Obama and Democratic Congressional Campaign Committee Chairman Chris Van Hollen at Alonzo Mornings Mansion in Coral Gables, Florida. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi was slated to attend, according to a uh, schedule aid Pelosi released early this month, but for some reason she won't be there. Maybe Alonzo is just too tall for her. West, like many upstart Republican candidates, takes pride in his distance from the National Party. He's raised millions of dollars, garnered an endorsement from Sarah Palin, and said that the National Republican Campaign Committee has kept its distance from his campaign. If elected, he said he'll go to Washington with a mandate from Floridians, not from the special interests, and not so much from the party. Yeah, we'll see who really rules him when he gets there. If he gets there. Oh. Got for dumped. In a half-hour interview in the PGA National Resort Hotel lobby, West quickly staked out his ground against his party's potential future leadership. He said the Pledge to America, championed by Boehmer, deserves a grade in the D range. He said it was missing key policy plans on immigration, earmarks, and term limits. The section on national security was same old stuff, missile defense, rah, 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 he said. Interesting. Earmarks? term limits and immigration. Immigration is certainly an important issue. But earmarks and term limits at a time when we're entering a serious depression, have a, have a foreign policy that's ruining us, on and on and on, is not really the top of any intelligent politician's list. 
West is used to controversy. The 49-year-old left the army after allegations of abuse during an interrogation in Iraq. They're running a torturer! He still talks like a military man and believes that people dealing with foreign policy should have the experience of staring down the barrel of an AK-47. He stared down the barrel of an AK-47? What, he got drunk with a buddy who picked up one of the weapons, he took off a dead body and threatened him? Who's pointing AK-47s at them? That's the enemy's military. He says he does not apologize for the fact that I served you to protect your life, your liberty, and your pursuit of happiness. This man kills me. West also seems ready to buck his party on health care, saying he wouldn't vote for full repeal uh, because there are parts of the health care law, pre-existing coverage, things like that, that are good, and I agree with them. Hmm. He's not completely thick. West believes GOP promises to repeal and replace the law is unrealistic, given it would likely be toothless with Obama in the White House. If you don't have the two-thirds majority going into the 112th Congress, you're never going to repeal it, he said. You may need to be able to look at the portions you cannot appropriate funding to, but you also have to come up with viable alternatives. Well, I'm sorry, Mr. West, but the GOP party is a little thin on coming up with viable alternatives, unless that viable alternative is finding six or seven other ways to say no. The end of another fine show, Dave, and time to do a touch of Tang. What well, we got today? this may be even pre-Tang. Pre-Tang. I, I ain't oh, got my, my dynasties straight, Mr. Bergman. That's and all right. People won't mind. If they like it, it can go before the Tang. This is a poem uh, by a poet named Dao Chen, whose dates are 365 That's to early. 427. Yeah. Presaged the wow. Tang. Wow. But here's, a, here's, a, here's a, a, a great verse by this guy, Dao Chen, so long ago. It's called, On Returning to My Garden. Garden and field. Mm-hmm. When I was young, I did not fit into the common mold. By instinct, I love mountains and hills. By error, I fell into this dusty net and was gone from home for thirteen years. A caged bird yearns for its native woods. The fish in a pond recalls old mountain pools. Now I shall clear the land at the edge of the southern wild, and clinging to simplicity, return to garden and field. My house and land on a two-acre lot, my thatched hut of eight or nine rooms, elms and willows shade the eaves back of the house, peach and plum trees stand in a row before the hall. Lost in a haze is the distant village, where smoke hovers above the homes. Dogs bark somewhere in the deep lanes. Cocks crow atop the mulberry trees. My home is free from dust and care. In a bare room there is leisure to spare. Long a prisoner in a cage, I am now able to come back to nature. Well, come back to Nature with Oz. Thank you, Dave. Dave Osman, one of the key members of the Oz team. I'm your host, Peter Bergman. He's the co-host. Dave Maloney is our audio engineer and runs the gorgeous Blue U Studios. Kelly Brewer has come on to do our syndication and to edit us and to help us with Oz and Ears. Phil Fountain's head of the Oz Design Group. Scott Wilde designs the website and also does all of our social media work. Tom Gedwillow, well, he does just a marvelous job in being our webmaster. And Chaz Glass, I tell you, what a mentor. 
What a forensic account. See you tomorrow.